Look at somebody this morning and tell them, you are looking good this Sunday morning. Praise God. It is a good day. Scripture says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's go to the Word of God this morning. Take your Bibles as we continue in our series entitled War Footing. War Footing, we're specifically talking about being prepared. And our topic today is this. When life is a mess, don't stop short. Does anybody have any experience with a messy life? Oh, come on. This word's for you today. Let's read the Word of God. Let's go to set the scene to 2 Kings chapter number 13, starting at verse number 1. This is how it reads. It says, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu. So Jehu is who we talked about last week. Began to rule over Israel in the 23rd year of King Jehoash's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 17 years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He followed the example of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. And I'm just going to pause there for a moment. Let me tell you, friends, people follow individuals' lives. Can I tell you this Sunday morning, you need to be careful the way you're leading and you're causing people to, to watch your life because somebody is going to be following you if the Lord delays his coming and they watch your life. Jeroboam led an entire nation astray because of his idolatry. Verse 3. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and he allowed King Haziel of Edom and his son Ben-Hadad to defeat them repeatedly. Then Jehoahaz prayed for the Lord's help. And the Lord heard his prayer, for he could see how severely the king of Edom was oppressing Israel. So the Lord provided someone to rescue the Israelites from the tyranny of the Edomians. Then Israel lived in safety from, as they had in former days. But they continued to sin. Let me tell you, sin, if you continue to allow it in your life, brings devastation. Listen to what begins to happen to them. Following the evil example of Jeroboam, they also follow, allowed the Asherah pole and Samaria to remain standing. Finally, Jehoahaz's army was reduced to 50 charioteers, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers for the entire nation. The king of Aram had killed the others, trampling them like dust under his feet. The rest of the events of Jehoiah's reign, everything he did, and the extent of his power recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Jehoahaz died, he was buried in Samaria. Then his son Jehoash became the next king. Now I know that was a longer read, but there's a lot of things that we need to set in motion today to understand what was taking place what, when problems and difficulty began to occur. Our series on war footing deals with Spiritual preparedness. And I, I want to remind you of a very powerful verse found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, which says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of enemy strongholds. Praise God for that. You have not been left here ill-equipped or unprepared. Instead, God has equipped you for such a time as this. Today we move uh, to the time after King Jehu. We talked about Jehu's uh, reign last week and the thing, things that he did to overthrow Baal worship. Can I tell you, he did some wonderful things. He stopped a lot of the evil, but he didn't do it completely. 
In fact, if you read a little bit about his life, and, and you could look at it, found in 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 28 through 29, and then in verse 31 it says, In this way Jehu destroyed every trace of Baal worship from Israel. He did not, however, destroy the gold calves at Bethel and Dan. He allowed some things to linger. And God honored the fact that he went a long way in serving him. But let me tell you, the danger, friends, is allowing things to linger in our lives. Allowing, allowing problems to fester in our lives. Because of the, the obedience of, of Jehu and because of his godliness, God said to him through a prophet that he would allow him to have four generations or four descendants on the throne of Israel. And God was faithful to his word. He did those very same things. Jehu did some amazing things for God. And yet in the middle of that, he stopped short. And the, that's what I want us to begin with today. The problem with partial commitment. So let's look at the word of God as we think about the problem of partial commitment. The first person in the line of Jehu to ascend to the throne was a man that we just read about. And his name was Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz. When King Jehoahaz became to the, to the throne, he followed in the sins of idolatry that had been established generations before by a man by the name of Jeroboam. You hear him repeatedly referred to even though he had come and gone from the pages of history. But here was the struggle. Jeroboam introduced idol worship, creating a gold calf that they placed in one end of the country in Dan and the other one down in Bethel. And these things became a lingering problem. It lasted for generations. There is a truth that we need to understand today. When someone opens a door to sin, Scripture records that there can be problems that lingers to the third and to the fourth generation. Some of us in this room today, as we, we go through life, understand that there are problems that our families have dealt with repeatedly over time. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's been a battle with a, a struggle. It could have been something like, uh, maybe, maybe it's been a struggle like uh, drug abuse. Maybe there's been a battle with alcoholism in your family for generations. Maybe there's been sexual sins. Or maybe there's been problems with pornography. Or, or maybe it's something like anger. Did you know anger can trickle down from one family to the next to the next? Often we see it in the form of rebellion. Jeroboam's sin had continued to linger. And this man, Jehoahaz, he was not able to shake those things. Now here's something that's interesting. If you were with us during our study in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7, some of you will remember we talked about this, God sets apart, seals 144,000 individuals from the tribes of Israel to be those who are special people that he will use in the time of the seven years of tribulation. And he names 12,000 from these different tribes. But an interesting point, two tribes by name are missing. One of them is the tribe of Dan, and the other one is the tribe of Ephraim. It talks about the, the descendants of Joseph, but it never mentions Ephraim by name. And if you will notice, the two places where the idols were located was in the tribe of Dan. And Bethel is located because it was conquered by the people of Ephraim. What does that speak to us? There's long lasting problems with sin. Sin, friends, always has a consequence. 
Oh, come on now. Did you know you can legalize a lot of things, but you can't take away the consequence? Now, over the course of time, in the United States, can I tell you, we've legalized and then unlegalized, gone back and forth on a lot of things. Go back almost 100 years. You remember, if you remember your American history, you know that there was a season that we made alcohol consumption illegal in the United States. They called that prohibition, didn't they? And then they changed the Constitution, they made it legal again, and, and it swung back the other way. But can I tell you, whether it was legal or illegal, there's always been consequences to alcohol and alcoholism, hasn't there? Okay, let's take it a little further. How many of you understand that right now we live in a season where things that used to be considered illegal drugs, at least in some states, are now being legalized? Isn't that true? What do we call that? We call that, well, a change, or some people will call that a legalization, or some people call it being more liberal or broad-minded. Well, let me tell you, you can change the, the legal status of something, but you cannot change the problem of the consequence of that sin. We'll go another step. Understand, many years ago, we changed how hard or easy, really, it became to be, get divorces in the United States. We moved to no-fault divorces. And when that happened, all of a sudden, we began to see the family unit beginning to deteriorate. What am I saying? You can legalize things, but it doesn't change the consequence. Scripture says there is a wage connected to sin, and the wages of sin is death. It always brings pain. It always brings hardship. It will always eventually, if left unchecked, bring death into our lives. Let's look a little bit at this king by the name of Jehoahaz. It says, then Jehoahaz prayed to, for the Lord's help. Anybody notice that we all get motivated to pray when we're having problems? Right? Oh, come on now. How many of you are fully awake this morning? How many of you are longing to that Sunday? Is it next Sunday that we fall back a week? Is that right? Oh, some of you are saying, oh, pastor, if I can just make it one more Sunday. One more son. I'll be more awake, I promise, next week. Well, let me tell you, here we go. Look at this. It says that he prayed to the Lord, for he could see how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. So the Lord provided someone to rescue the uh, Israelites from the tyranny of the Arameans. Then Israel lived, now listen, in safety again, as they had in former days, but they continued to sin following the evil example of Jeroboam. What did they do? They prayed and asked God for help. God said, I'm going to have mercy on you. And he sent them mercy and grace. Friends, can I tell you that all of us have benefited from grace. Scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift. Praise God for the gift. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God has given us that gift that gift of grace. And so he gave them grace, but what did they do? They wasted the grace God had given to them. My challenge to you this Sunday morning is don't waste the grace of God. Don't waste the gift of God's grace that he has given. The problem is we don't tend to read God's instructions very well. Now, it's not just unique to God's instructions. Some of you struggle to read instructions, period. You know, guys, I think we fall prey to this often. 
Right now, I told you a few uh, months ago, Ruth and I, of course, moved. And as we moved, one of the things that you have to do is you have to put stuff together, hang things on the wall. And I was, we were talking yesterday. I said, I think this time with this move, we've done better. We haven't had as many problems. We have a fewer unnecessary holes in the wall. We've done a better job. But how many of you, as especially a younger person, were tempted to try to skip past reading the instructions? Anybody? Did any of you ever buy those toys that said things like this, some assembly required. How many of you know that's a lie? Because you open this box and it says some assembly required. Most of us think, well, some assembly required means a, a couple, three, maybe four screws. I can do that. You know, I, I, could, I can get involved with that. And you open the box and all you see are parts. Screws, washers, bolts, a list of all the things that are there. And it's not some assembly required, it's full assembly required, right? And so if you're like a lot of us, guys, how many of you think about tool time with Tim the Toolman Taylor and you go, oh, 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 right? And you go out there and you go in the garage and you say, this is my chance and I don't need the instructions and you start putting things together and now the wagon, as it is assembled, one tire's up here and one's down here. And you're thinking, I wonder what I did wrong. Or, take it a step further, how many of you have ever ended up with extra pieces? Now, we justify that. I do. I'll say to myself, you know, they probably included a few extra screws because they knew that I would lose some. Right? Isn't that the justification that we use? Or I think this thing can stay together. I don't think it really needed that many screws. Oh, there's a great parallel to the truth of the Word of God. You know, when you don't read God's Word, you end up with some loose screws. Right? You end up with a few things that aren't fully put together in your mind. And that begins to happen to us because the problem we have with partial commitment. Let's go a little bit further, though. I want you to, to now look at me with me at listening specifically to what God is saying to you. And, and we're going to spend some time talking about this. One of the great bright spots in Scripture... For so many days in the, in the time of the Old Testament that we've been looking through was the fact that God is gracious and he provided two powerful prophets of God to relay his word to the people of Israel. The first one was king, came during the time of, of King Ahab and his name was Elijah. But the second one was a great powerful prophet as well. In fact, as we look in scripture, it's recorded he did twice as many miracles really as Elijah did and his name was Elisha. And this prophet reigned, these, these uh, great prophets were there during the reigns of King Ahab, King Ahaziah, King Joram, King Jehu, King Jehoahaz, and now during the time of King Jehoash, six kings. And at the time that we're reading today in scripture, we looked at Elisha was coming to a point of illness. Now here's the danger. I don't want any one of us to depend on somebody else's spirituality to get us through life. You know, there is a danger of saying, you know what, I've got somebody in my life or in my family. As long as grandma's praying for me, I know I'm going to be okay. You know, as long as I've got my dad or I've got my brother or my sister or, or my cousin, as long as they're out there, I know they can touch Jesus. And, and as long as they're there, it's going to be all right. And we hear in chapter 13, verse 14, of something that begins to happen as there begins to be a change. Let's read about it together and pay careful attention to how we read this. It says, when Elisha was in his last illness... 
King Jehoash, this would be the grandson of Jehu, of Israel, visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the hands of the king. Then he commanded, open the eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram. For you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. That's a powerful word. A great word that God gives through the prophet to the king. Now, I have to tell you, I read through this many times. In fact, I was reading through this again this morning before we came together and began to share. And I've seen some new things recently. The first thing I just want to tell you is that honestly, many times when I would read about this king, I felt bad for him. Because he comes to, he comes to Elisha. And it's very similar to some of the things that have happened in our nation. How many of you noticed that as a nation, we mourned the passing of Billy Graham? How many of you remember that? He had been speaking into many of our president's lives and into many of our cities. How many of you ever went to a Billy Graham crusade? Anybody? Oh, many in this room, touched by his life. And we see this king come to him, and, and he, he's mourning the fact that he knows Elisha is sick. He says, my father, my father, the, the, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He senses that his time's short, but there's a lot of pressure on this king. I want you to understand that the Arameans are pressing in, and, and they've been trampled, as it says in Scripture, as the dust. They have been beaten down. They cannot win. And the reason they're struggling to win is because sin is there. And I've always thought, why this poor guy? He makes some mistakes, but he didn't know better. And then I realized something today. He did know better because God specifically told him. So I want you to look at this. Let me tell you, friends, God is specifically speaking to us today. Listen to what he says. Elisha told him. Look at somebody says, told him. Get a bow and some arrows. And the king did what he was told. Elisha told him. Look at somebody said, told him. Put your hand on the bow. And Elisha hand, laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded. Look at somebody say, commanded. commanded. Open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said to him. Say, said to him. Said to him, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed. Look at somebody and say, proclaimed. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. So what do we see? It says that he told him, he told him, he commanded. It says that he, furthermore, that he uh, directed him or he spoke to him again, and he tells him again five times in that passage declares that he speaks to him. Friends, let me tell you, God repeatedly speaks to us. The question is, are you listening? Five times. 
it says that the prophet begins to declare to him, I want you to get a hold of this. So here's the answer for us. God gives him the answer that day. Now the next thing that I want you to understand is we look at this, we understand that Elisha's season of ministry was coming to an end. There's a danger on depending on somebody else. Because God wants to speak to you. God may have blessed your life for a long time. King Jehoash comes to Elisha grieving with a need, needing a word of direction. Can I tell you, a lot of you came to church today like that. There's a hurt in your life. There's a need. You've come to church. This guy came to the prophet. That's the right place to go. And he was, he was probably filled with worry. And God has a word for you, but you need to listen to the word that God has. Go to the 18th verse. In the 18th verse, it says, Then he said, Now pick up the arrow and strike them against the ground. And he tells them specifically to open the eastern window, to take the arrows and to strike the ground. The king goes over and he shoots the ground once. He takes another arrow and he puts it on the, the string and he shoots the ground twice. He takes another arrow, he puts it on the string, and he strikes the ground a third time and he stops doing that. He ceases. And it says in verse 8, 19, but the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. Well, there's a lot in that. Let me tell you, he gives him an instruction and the king obeys. But the problem is, is the king does not finish what he should have done. He strikes the ground three times, three times in a row. He lets the arrow fly. And it says that the prophet becomes angry because he said you ha should have shot it five or six times. But that last sentence that we just read is critical. It says, then Elisha died and was buried. This was the sentinel moment. This was the chance for this king to be able to grab on to the victory that God had for him. He needed to seize the day because there wasn't going to be another word from Elisha. Oh, come on now. He, and this, this is the last recorded word that we have that Elisha speaks. Then he died and was buried. That was the last chance. That was the last word. The last word that Elisha said was, you should have struck it five or six times and you would have completely been able to destroy them. Now you're only going to be victorious three times. What was it? He stopped short. Here's my word to us this morning. Don't stop short. You know, as those prayer sheets came by, maybe you've been saying to yourself, very practical, you know, one of these days I need to do this. Now's the time you need to do it. Oh, you say, well, they already passed them to the back. Before you leave, you need to sign up. Maybe you signed up for one day. Maybe God is saying you need to fast two days or three. Maybe some of you are saying, well, you know, I, I just, I've been reading the word, Pastor. I've been getting in there every day. I've been reading a chapter or two. Maybe it's time to read three or four. Why? Because it's time for you to strike the ground. Now, I want to point something out. Has anybody ever shot an arrow? How many of you know that pulling that string back is hard? 
There's a lot of tension. What makes that arrow fly is the tension on the string. So to, for the king to pull that back and to release the shot required a lot of effort. Pulls it out again. Pulls it a second time. Releases the shot. Does it the third time. Releases the shot. And it probably was tiring. His arm was probably tired. Let's be real. Can I tell you, friends, a lot of times in the midst of the battle, we get tired, don't we? We say, you know, that's probably enough. Or it could have been that he really didn't understand what, the, maybe he didn't believe the prophet. This guy's sick. I'm gonna humor the prophet. Yeah, I'm gonna open the window. I'm with you, I opened it. I want you to shoot the ground. I'm gonna shoot it. I want you to shoot it multiple times. He shoots. He doesn't really listen to what God is saying. Can I tell you, friends, sometimes God tells us something very important and very specific. And we don't listen specifically, and we stop short. Some of you know that I love to play golf. The only problem, Brother Matt, is I'm just not any good at it. <laughs> Church was gracious. They bought me new clubs for my, my birthday, I think. Problem was, <clears throat> they only helped for one time. And people are like, were you any better? I was like, you know, I think it's an operator problem. I don't think it's the clubs. But one of the things that's very frustrating, any golfer can tell you this, when you're putting and you're putting out and you, you hit the ball and it rolls and it's going directly for the hole. I mean, it's going perfect angle, good speed, and right before it gets to the cup, it stops. You know what happens when Moses and I are playing and it does that? I lean. I sometimes blow, right? But nothing happens. It doesn't drop it, right? It doesn't make it just fall over the edge. That's exactly what happens to the king that day. He's close. He strikes the ground three different times, and good things are gonna come because of that. But it says, but the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times. What's the word for us this Sunday morning? You need to complete, don't stop short. Praise God. Let's look at one last item. I know we're running out of time this morning. We have to hurry. Remember this. God wants us to eradicate evil from our lives, from our nation, from our family. We don't have time by any means to go back and to establish the struggle that Israel had had with Edom. You could go back. We know it goes back at least to the time of King Ahab because we've been reading through that recently. But honestly, you could read back all the way to the time of King David. He starts fighting against the Edomians. They keep reemerging, and people from Zobah and these different places are coming and they're fighting against them. Now, some of you have an ongoing battle with evil that you've been fighting for some years. Some of you have an evil that's been resting on your family for a few generations. This is your chance to close the door on evil and to eradicate it. You know, it was on Friday night that we were here outside. We had hundreds, of, literally, I'm not exaggerating, we had hundreds and hundreds of people who came through the trunk or treat. We had the opportunity of, of sharing the gospel, I think, with 300 people uh, in the uh, Children's Center. It was a great night. And as we were standing outside, his Brother Steve, we were talking. He said, and did you get, have to get a permit for this? I said, we didn't have to get a permit for this. We're on private property. We can do whatever we want to do. And he said, man, Pastor Ray was thinking ahead. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? He was thinking ahead because he put us on a position where we are in a traffic place where people will come by. People were walking off the street and said, we'll go get our kids. We're coming back. 
What does that do? It says to us, all of us stand on the shoulders of somebody who went before us. Praise God. But let me tell you something. The people, if the Lord delays his coming, who are coming behind us will be standing on the shoulders of what we do. It's critical that we continue to establish those right things, eradicate the evil. The king drew back, and he knew this was important. How did he know? Because the prophet says, this is the arrow of deliverance. Come on now. How many of you are ready to receive the arrow of deliverance in your life? And say, so I break free from this, that thing of anger or of lust or of, of, of alcoholism or of drugs or, or some other thing that's been battling you and, and causing you to be bogged down. I'm breaking free with this arrow. And he knew it was important. And, and he takes a step and he's doing the right thing. And some of you, as you came to church today, you're, you're struggling in an area of your life. You came to the house of God and, and God is actually laying his hand on you. Isn't that good? You see how it says that the prophet put his hand on the king's hand? I think there's some symbolism there. He's saying to the king, king, you're not alone in this. I'm coming alongside of you. I know you need your faith built up, but it's going to be okay. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to fear. I'm right here. I'm, I'm not gone yet. How many of you are glad for that person who's not gone yet out of your life? Man, they're right there. And, and he puts his hand on him. He says, okay, this is your day. And so he shoots and so I, I have to believe that when the prophet laid his hand on, on the king, that the king's faith was built up. You know? This is important. I need to do this. And so he, he shoots. You see, God will do what he says he will do, but you must complete the work. So we're going to skip down the passage. For time's sake, we've got to move. Let's go to verses 22 through 24 as we close. Now, remember we've been talking about this guy named Haziel. Haziel's like their arch enemy. He's the king of Aram. It says... King Haziel of Aram had oppressed Israel during the entire reign of King Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious and merciful to the people of Israel, and they were not totally destroyed. Can I tell you it's because of God's grace that any of us are in this room today? You say, well, man, I could have been destroyed. Well, God was gracious. Now listen. He pitied them. All oh, this is important. He pitied them because of his covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob, and to this day, he still has not completely destroyed them or banished them from his presence. King Haziel of Aram died. In other words, God removed the guy who was really a threat. They start having the winds a lot under Ben-Hadad, who was his son. And his son Ben-Hadad became the next king. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Haziel, the towns that had been taken from Jehoash's father. Jehoahaz defeated, Jehoahaz, Jehoash has defeated Ben-Hadad on, here it comes, three occasions. Three occasions. Three arrows, three occasions. And he recovered the Israelite towns. Now, the first thing I want you to realize is that some of us today are beneficiaries of the grace that has been prepared proportioned based on somebody who went before you. Were they saved because of their own goodness? No. Did you hear what it says? It says because of what God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't saved because they were really that great or that good. They were saved because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not perfect individuals, but godly individuals, Follow the Lord. Now, here's a great encouragement for those of us in this room today. If you have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, the prayers that you pray 
are significant. They count in God's sight. Oh, certainly God holds each of us responsible. But let me tell you, often God extends mercy because somebody else was praying. We said, Pastor, is that true? That's what it says there. He pitied them. He did not want them destroyed because of what he had promised. Not only here, you can read in a lot of places where he would have destroyed Judah, but he looks back and he says, but for the promise that he made to David, the man after God's own heart. David refused to, to go. Again, David wasn't perfect. That means there's hope for all of us. Right? Because there's not any perfect people in here today. Anybody ever made a mistake? If you don't raise your hand, man, you're going to be lying in church. Don't you not raise your hand. Right? We've all made mistakes. We've all blown it. But God looked and he said, you know what? There's David and I made him a promise. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I made them a promise. So because of them, I'm going to help you. Oh boy, that's, that's encouragement to us today. It's encouraging on two sides. One, you may be a recipient of those blessings from somebody who went before you. But even if you're not a recipient, maybe you're the first person in your family who's ever served Jesus, let me tell you, you get to be the first person who creates blessing coming behind you. Powerful encouragement to each and every one of us. We have to close for time's sake today. As we end our time together, I want you to to hear what it says. That ending statement, he defeated him on three occasions. Now, here's the thing about this king, Jehoahaz, or Jehoash, he had this chance to be known as a guy who completely eradicated the evil. What he's known as is the guy who pushed him back. He didn't completely destroy him, he pushed him back. Now, we have to say, praise God that he obeyed and shot three times, right? Praise God that he made some good choices. But what God wants us to do is not just push back the darkness. He wants us to eradicate it. And that's true in our personal lives. We've got to start there. But that's true in our nation. Can I tell you, God's not happy with us just, well, we, we had some good spiritual wins. Man, we had four weeks of praying and fasting. Praise God. Good. God will honor it. But he wants you to finish the work. As we close our time together today. I want you to think in your own life. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about today that you need to completely finish off? Maybe you've shot three arrows. You've reloaded. Maybe this last week you shot again. You're saying, man, my arm is tired. My shoulder hurts spiritually. And God's saying, a couple more. You know, I'm not going to tell you that that tension is going to be easier. It's probably going to be harder. You release that fourth arrow. And the fifth. And the sixth. There would have been a point, no doubt, that Elisha would have said, that's enough. That's enough. Let me tell you, you'll know when it's enough. You'll also know when you need to go just a little bit farther with God. And if you'll push just a little bit farther, complete victory 